Tano boys. Tano boys. Tano boys. Look at that. Seamless. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, we're really getting in our stride. Yeah, um, we got our act together for this one. With four episodes left. Mm-hmm. Four episodes left of Tano Boys, too. And then, I mean, presumably, well, ever. Something, no, 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 something we didn't talk about mm-hmm. um, when they did the, we did our Mandalorian speculation for Ahsoka Tano being in the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I've read two or three articles that say, obviously Disney wants to make money, so they're going to do an Ahsoka spinoff. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that is obvious. And then I got really, really pumped. You got him. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even remotely think that. I was like, oh, cool, Dave's going to kill her on screen, as opposed to, oh, Dave's going to stretch this six more seasons of yeah. Ahsoka just traveling, looking for Ezra. I'm just looking forward to the little piece of like expanded universe content where they subtly sneak in, like, oh yeah, Togrutans have an average lifespan of 1,000 years. And she uses really good moisturizer, which is why she's so yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> We, well, we do see the age of Tigrudas in the yeah, slave slaves arc, of the arc. Slaves of the Republic arc. But we don't know and how old they don't they are. age well. I mean, no. those old people looked like garbage. <laughs> which, well, now that he, I think about it, they were slaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now that I, like they. That's probably what it was. You, so, you don't think? Yeah, and. <laughs> Redact, redact, redact. Too bad okay, I'm Josh. This one. Um, so there's so, only there's only four episodes of Tunnel Boys left, and before that, we had thought, oh wow, what a load of filler we're in for on the Po Boys LLC umbrella. But they've oh recently my gosh, announced. I'm so upset we're doing this. Hmm. I'm so upset that we have to continue, Josh. Well, I didn't think we had to. I didn't think that this was, you know, we had thought, you know, oh, we're going to do a Pedro Boys wrap-up at some point in the in the filler. We'll go back and revisit season one of The Mandalorian and talk about it as a whole, because we never had time to do that um, previously because of uh, Star's Resistance and things like that taking our, our weekly time. And, yeah, you know, we're what, very busy. Yeah, and, and what better time? It honestly kind of works to revisit The Mandalorian season one after having rewatched or having watched the Siege of Mandalore, it's a big point in Mandalorian history. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be it makes ridiculous. complete sense. We we had planned this mm-hmm. the entire time, right? And we figured while we were recapping and looking back on the Mandalorian, that Pete and I would share um, some of the behind the scenes stuff that we know and sort of the narrative within the narrative of how the show was made and some development things like that that we are aware of as movers and shakers. In just uh, stuff from our camera rolls, stuff that right. we're yeah, like, you know, some you selfies. Know, TikToks we've received. TikToks. What's a Discord? Um, some Discord. Well, <laughs> that's not... Okay. But we were going to share We were gonna share some stuff. We have content right. that, you know, we, pro- we, we want to provide for our listeners the behind the scenes. That's what we did with Galaxy's Edge. And the true behind the scenes. And um, yeah, we had not about the this. corporate behind the scenes. Right. And we because I mean, you know, I've talked before, like Rise of Skywalker, the art of book corporate behind the scenes. I enjoyed the book, but like they never mentioned Contravaro. They just no, like, they don't. Uh, no. And it's it's a it's a corporate narrative. And we were not going to we wanted to give the true narrative 
And we had mentioned this for on the Zoom fans. Call. Hashtag for the fans. Yes, hashtag for the fans 2020. We had mentioned this on a Zoom call with a lot of other movers and shakers in Star Wars. And I guess somehow the word got out that we were going to be telling the truth about production of The Mandalorian. And what do you know? The very next day, it is announced. Oh, by the way, on May the 4th, Disney is going to start airing a weekly eight-part documentary on the making of Mandalorian where Jon Favreau hmm, brings you behind the scenes. Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, is going to start May 4th. And he, like, honestly, he always has to shove his unwanted face <laughs> into every single product. Like... Whether it's my party, whether it's behind-the-scenes footage. Like, May, May, May the 4th, right? You know, mm -hmm. the corporate Star Wars holiday where I gotta buy Star Wars stuff, so obviously I'm gonna buy <laughs> Star Wars stuff. And now, on top of that, he's just shoving his John Favreau face like, ooh, look at all these things that I had other people do for me, but I get to, like, take credit for it. So, um, as Tano Boys wraps up... And side note, the, the finale of Clone Wars is actually going to be airing that same day on May the 4th, which is a Monday. So we're going to continue with our tradition of our discussion of the previous episode coming out the same day as the next episode. Uh, I don't know what that will mean for the finale, but I guess our discussion of the penultimate episode will also be out on May 4th. And then I guess probably that Thursday we'll talk about um, the finale. And then after that... We are going to title TBD, haven't thought of it yet, Pedro Boy something maybe. Uh, we are going to be continuing with our plan um, of, of telling you the true narrative, not the corporate narrative. Uh, but, I mean, whereas before, this was just going to be sort of a brief discussion at the end of a season recap. Um, you got to fight fire with fire, and so we will be providing counter-commentary. Uh, to every one of these episodes of Disney Gallery The Mandalorian and debunking um, nonsense and lies and myth and telling you the truth. Well, the it's going to be Mandalorian. It's a Pedro Boys production, mm -hmm. Mando debunked, a series. Hmm, hmm, mm hmm. That's certainly an option. Yeah, Pedro, it is an Pedro option. Hollywood Pedro. Pedro. Hollywood story. We're workshopping it. We're workshopping it. Mando King. Ten tentatively Mando. Evil debunked. Mandos. <laughs> I'm uh. going to think on it. I'm going to meditate on it. <laughs> we got a ton um, of stuff coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the plan for our, our foreseeable future. My understanding is it's an eight-part documentary and that it's week to week is, is I think, how it's going to work. And then I'm hoping... That after that, maybe we'll get some um, proper art of and visual dictionary, maybe stuff. Maybe Pablo Hidalgo put something out about Mandalorian. Who knows? Um, I'd love an art of Mandalorian book. Get some Dave sketches. I'm also hoping that when Clone Wars wraps up here, that we might get finally an art of Clone Wars book. They did one after the first season. It's out of print. It's very hard to get a hold of. It's a little pricey. I don't own it yet. Um, but they're Is it gonna come more out. or less expensive than a Nintendo Switch right now? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's less. It's less. <laughs> okay, so it's not six hundred and twenty dollars. I'm literally checking every day, but you know what? Stardew Valley is doing me okay. It's doing me okay. Um, 
so that hopefully we'll get some some behind the scenes books as well and stuff now that Clone Wars and the first season of Mandalorian seem uh, well behind us or will in the future yeah so that is that is the near future of Poe Boys LLC and where we'll be going we're very excited to shed some truth um, on the Mandalorian and the, and the production of that uh, great show speaking truth to power yes putting our that, journalistic ooh. hats on Hmm. Truth to reporter boys. Mm, I don't like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I like making lists. So I'm just going to have to sit down and list out a bunch of stupid names. This is, this is, yeah, I know you like making lists. I saw the list you made. (laughs) That wasn't a list. That was a, yes, it was one, two, three, four, five, six. Those were steps. (laughs) Oh, step one, get podcast life insurance. (laughs) I was so excited for that, uh, and I don't have a bold enough marker that it would show. I was really hoping it would show up on its own. I wouldn't have to draw attention to it. Oh, goodness. Fun times on Zoom. Um, I uh, am keeping up with my quarantine watching of Rise of Skywalker, and so I watched that yesterday uh, morning. It's my third time in three weeks. Um, so far, Stockholm Syndrome... Uh, I don't think I have it because I really didn't want to watch the movie, but I did anyway, and I kind of liked it. So I don't think I have Stockholm Central for the movie yet. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I gave it a like finally on Letterboxd. I think. Wow. Okay, realized... that's 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 great progress, Josh. Well, I think that's just me being fair. I mean, I've given movies i've enjoyed less stuff in a like you know like is i i don't have a i don't have i'm ne- the movie's never gonna get for me in letterbox if if i would watch it again kind of a like i'll give it a like top 10 percent movies ever seen get five stars those are the only ratings i give so i don't know that it's gonna move up from a like i don't think my star rating of it personally has changed since the day it opened but um you know, I'm trucking along, so sometime this week I'll I'll watch it a fourth time. I really like the first two thirds of it at this point. I can get behind a, a lot of it, but boy, that interesting. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still doing that. Um, I don't know. You got you got anything else going on other than uh, these huge doings? Nope. Well then, we should dive right in. There's someone else in my home right now. Uh, whom I live with that is enjoying their morning. So I won't reenact exactly how the opening moments of this episode went for me. But when Lucasfilm Limited showed up in that green floor. Oh my gosh. I gasped. <laughs> and then. When oh, Clone Wars oh dear. And they played the main <laughs> Star Wars music. I screamed. <laughs> At that, that's hilarious. Bones. Um, I think I, I think, I think I kept saying let's go, let's go. <laughs> I, I don't I, doubt I'm, it. I'm pretty sure that's what I did. Um, I guess uh, not to get too boring right off the bat, but a brief background on that moment. Very early on in in the kind of behind the scenes stuff for Clone Wars, they they pointed out um, that George Lucas didn't want Kevin Kiner, the composer for for Clone Wars, to just oh, rely oh, really? on John Williams themes. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, he didn't want Kevin Kiner. Oh, no, 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 no. 
No, but it was a conscious decision was made not to use familiar Star Wars music and to make music that that felt like Star Wars, but not to just rely on those old themes. And if you go back and watch the first, you know, most of Clone Wars, um, they will they'll sprinkle them out. They they barely use them. So when they do show up, it's it's pretty exciting. You know, there are moments Anakin will have brief moments where you'll hear in the background just the littlest hint of the Imperial March or something like that. But by and large, it's all original music from Kiner. Um, so with this episode coming in and and just blatantly boom, main Star Wars theme. That's a they've earned it a thousand times over. Um, but the statement that they make with that and and giving the Clone Wars the true, quote-unquote, Star Wars treatment and allowing it to join the ranks. Well, almost, almost. They're like, let's do the crawl site. Right, right, right. (laughs) Which is fair, though. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's the last arc. Um, Don't want to change it up too much, but that is... That was a really powerful moment. They did a lot of the, you know, they had the Force theme showing up in here pretty heavily. Um, and you had the Return of the Jedi theme a little bit played around with when Anakin's on the bridge and he's plotting. Uh, no quote. The, the tactical droid. No quote hmm. at the beginning of the episode. Oh, that's right. So instead of the quote, they had the title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's what I immediately thought of, you know, you say we, we talked about like a week or two ago the rewatch of, you know, what order you should do it in. Mm-hmm. Five minutes into this, I was like, the Siege of Mandalore arc is going to be required watching now. Yeah. Its production is, like, mm-hmm. so, so mm-hmm. high, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can't reasonably tell somebody, you know, if you're rewatching, um, you know, all of the movies to watch every single episode of Clone Wars because no. it's not really necessary. But no. as I was watching this, I was like, Oh my god. Yeah. Like I cannot yeah, do I, a rewatch of one, two, three without watching the Siege of Mandalore arc now. I'm just I'm just guessing, um, based off of the quality and just like the first three, four minutes of this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well I just I I mean I texted you when I was done watching it, um, I can't stop screaming and I don't think the hairs on my arm are ever gonna go down again. And I mean you know I, I, the whole, like, every other minute something's happening that I'm losing it. Like, I, my reaction to this episode really kind of confirms to me that Clone Wars is my Star Wars. Um, like, it, I don't know, it's just the, the littlest things. And the, the animation taking a step up, uh, we've seen earlier in, in this season, like, facial expressions and, and things like that have really gotten taken up a notch and now with the improved animation and with the incredibly high stakes of this arc like every expression every character's making mm-hmm. i'm reading like a sokal will cock an eyebrow and be like oh my god <laughs> like the way you know she she gives bo a look when they're landing on mandalore and she tells um prime minister Olmec, like i don't care if they see me as an enemy i'm coming for you and she, it's like a very subtle expression, but it's like a, it's like a look of admiration and they animate it so well. And so then when you have, you know, her and Anakin seeing each other for the first time, they have the proficiency in the animation to, to make these nuanced facial expressions that are so loaded and just, oh man, I was, I was losing it. I was losing so, it. So Josh, you said that you rewatched 
a couple of the Mandalorian Clone Wars episodes before. Yeah, I decided so, to call it the coup of Mandalore, I guess. It's sort of the immediate <laughs> predecessor to this arc. In okay, terms of Mandalorian so stuff. why don't you do a brief explanation of like um, who Olmec is, how Olmec is the leader, because that wasn't super clear to me. So Olmec was, I believe, an advisor to Satine, Duchess Satine, who is the pacifist ruler of Mandalore. And uh, he, during the third season, in one of the least watchable episodes of the show, where they go back to Mandalore and it's just about poisoning uh, juice boxes and stuff, and Corky is the main character. Ooh, Corky. Um, he's, he's revealed to have been dealing with the black on the black market to get... Um, supplies to Mandalore and, and things like that because Mandalore's pacifist, so they're not aligned with the Republic or the Separatists, so I don't know, it's a little harder, I guess, to make your way in the galaxy. Uh, but under Satine, Mandalore was part of the uh, like a independent systems, there's like 2,000 or so independent systems that aren't on either side. And they have Death Watch, which is a faction of Mandalorians that live off of the, on the moon of Conquered Dawn, I think. Uh, and they are not pacifist, and they are sort of an insurgent element trying to get everything more violent, but they are kind of ousted and found out by Owen Kenobi back in season two. So they're on the outs. And after season four of Clone Wars with okay. Savage and Maul being, re- well, Maul being brought back to sanity uh, in the season five premiere, they're kind of thoroughly trounced and end up on the outs. And they end up meeting Death Watch and Maul and Savage Press, and they put together sort of an underworld uh, criminal organization, and they use that to um, sack Mandalore and stage an intervention by Death Watch, where organized crime attacks Mandalore. Death Watch swoops in to thwart that, even though they're both part of the syndicate. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and Maul uses that to seize control of Mandalore and puts Pre Vizsla in charge as a figurehead. Pre Vizsla is not having that. Previsible played by John Favreau, uh, and Maul does not care. And so, in one of mm, the coolest lightsaber fights ever, the two of them go at it. <laughs> Maul uh, thwarts in that same chamber, right? Yes. 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 Um, though we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Maul thwarts Previsible. All Mech is in prison, and kind of touring the prison of Mandalore looking for dissidents and, and folks who he can install as a figurehead, Maul finds Almec. And so Almec is installed as the prime minister, but he is a shadow. Right. Or, or, right, Maul, right, Maul is ruling from those shadows. Maul is in charge, and he installs Almec. But then after that, Maul is thwarted by Palpatine. Like Sidious shows up for the first time in the flesh, I think, in, in Clone Wars. Beats Maul, kills Savage. Tells Maul, I have other plans for you. There's a comic book, but who knows if they're going by that or not. And that's the last time we see Maul, is Palpatine saying, I have other plans for you. And now, here Maul is back on Mandalore. So is that, you know, Palpatine's plans or Maul's plans? Who knows? Well, um, okay. And so that's how Almec ends up in charge. See, see, I when we get to the last part, um, like mm-hmm. part four of the episode, we can talk about Maul's plans and if they sure. line up with Palpatine's plans. Because I got some inklings that, like, this is part of the grander strategy that this, like he knew that the siege in Coruscant was going to be happening, but um, you don't, yeah, w- 
yeah, we'll get in, we'll get into that. Okay, so um, the way that I was thinking about this in terms mm-hmm. of talking about the episode into like kind of like four parts, um, Anakin and Obi Wan on Urbana or Urbana, mm-hmm. the, the ready room, all of that interactions between Ahsoka, Obi Wan, Bo-Katan, the see, the start of the siege of Mandalore. And then Ahsoka in the lower levels and Bo-Katan taking, taking the um, capital room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Um, just jumping right into it, um, we get to see, I guess, the last assault that Anakin and Obi-Wan were on before Episode 3. Yeah, I guess it would have to be. Yeah, and it's this planet that looks like the one that Kilalamundi was killed on. But not raining. Oh yeah, it's yeah or snow or whatever it is. Oh yeah. snow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's snow in that one. Yeah. So. And when Kiyotu Mundi's killed, he's killed by Galactic Marines who have those cool purple outfits. But I don't know if we ever see those in the Clone Wars. Interesting. Okay. I don't think yeah. we. Well, the only sure time we don't. ever see him is in the Siege of Geonosis arc. Yeah, landing on Point Rain. And where it turns out he's a stickler. Well, a stickler for burning living things alive in caves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely Pirate loves fire. He's like, mm-hmm. die, die, die. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so on this planet, I, to me, the opening battle here and the opening sequence um, kind of mirrored the opening action sequence we get in Clone Wars the movie, which is the first Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Um, and then that battle, I think that was on Christophsis. Yeah, Christophsis. Uh, the Chris Christopherson planet. Uh, Anakin is big battle, exciting action. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan Kenobi is behind enemy lines, treating with the general and kind of stalling for time. And mm-hmm. it is sort of a, you know, a trick, a plan that they're... A ruse. In, in here, right, and here you see Anakin... I think doing something a little similar where he is treating with uh, the enemy as sort of a ruse and you know, he puts his own uh, bombastic Anakin twist on it, but yeah. I think it, it's a nice nod to that first battle and it's a nice nod to Anakin and, and Obi-Wan's partnership. And it shows that, you know, maybe Anakin has learned a thing or two from, from Obi-Wan. But it, but it also shows that there's still kind of this little rift between the two of them. Like, Yes, Anakin is learning from Obi-Wan, but he wouldn't mm-hmm. give Obi-Wan credit, and Obi-Wan doesn't seem to think that he is the direct result of tricking the battle dro- the, um, what is it, the head dro- not the head tactical droid, droid, the tactical Voiced droid. Voiced by Donald Faison. Really? Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, hype Faison himself. Um, but... We see, you know, we had that bridge scene um, mm-hmm. where Obi-Wan and Cody are kind of being pushed back. And it doesn't seem like, I don't, throughout this series, has Obi-Wan's trip, have they ever done anything like super, super cool at all? <laughs> I don't, I don't know that it's that often that we're with Obi-Wan's troops. I don't even know what they are called. I know Anakin has a 501st and I know. Obi-Boys? Cloak. Plo Koon has his wolf pack, um, but I, I don't even know what Cody's 
you know. Because he's the only uh, named clone in the movie, right? No, there's a few other named ones, Jesse and, and Oddball and things like that. But, I mean, he's, yeah, he's... Okay. Um, he's one of the, the big ones, for sure. Um, yeah, it was that, was, that was a wild opening opening battle. That animation was great. I really liked, like I said, that it touched, um, to me, back on that original battle on Christophsis. It was sort of a, oh, look how far we've come, um, both in animation uh, as characters within this universe, how far they've come, what's changed, what hasn't. Um, and let's see, what else we got going on? Um, R2-D2. Also, R2-D2 showing up. Yeah, that was, that was, nice. that was uh, a... Was a little periscope. Well, it, it was also nice to see, you know, in episode three, in episode two, episode one, he has a role to play. Like, mm-hmm. he shows off the various different things that he can do. And I just like that they were kind of giving a nod to the fact that Anakin and he does Anakin didn't really rely on R2 a ton in the Clone Wars series, but it's nice to see that, you know, he's always true to form near Anakin as all of these different things are happening. Yeah, and it was a nice touch adding R2 there with that Return of the Jedi kind of music. It's the music cue they use is if not verbatim, an homage to the music that is playing when Luke is about to jump into the Sarlacc. And similarly, you have that music, you have everything poised and ready, and you have R2 on the sidelines scoping it out, and he's the kind of go button for it. So it was all uh, a nice little touch on that. Uh, I am, we did forget, before all this though, during that opening crawl voiceover, did you... Catch a cameo in there? During the opening crawl? During the, uh, yeah, the opening narration there? Um, Perhaps, let's, let's uh, see. We saw... Dua Lipa and her young Padawan. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we even... <laughs> Dua Lipa? <laughs> Isn't that her name? No. What's her name? Uh, Deepa Balapa. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Dua Lipa's a is a singer. That's a real person. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were making I can actually go. Oh, yep. There you go. <laughs> English singer, songwriter, and model. I don't even know who how do I even know that name? <laughs> Did you see? Oh, Deep Falafa. Caleb uh, Doom. Yeah. A young Caleb Doom. Uh, um shows up in the opening we got it we got to touch on that uh very cool yeah i was one of several rebels characters yeah i was i was like ah um and and speaking of rebels and rebels characters after the dust is settled in uh that little skirmish in the beginning we get a reference to fulcrum right yeah yeah yeah. anakin's told that they get a, a communicate on a subspace frequency from a fulcrum and it's revealed that that is presumed to be Saw Gerrera, who's leading um, gorillas on uh, Onderon that were trained by Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. Which is very cool. And that, of course, leads into Rebels. Um, and a little bit into Rogue One, I think, as well, at least as far as the visual dictionary for that film is concerned. Oh, Fulcrum's in it? a title used by... No, but it's... I. I believe they imply that um, Cassian is at one point a Fulcrum agent. 
Okay. Something like that. Um, but it's not in the movie. They don't say Fulcrum in the movie. But Fulcrum becomes a, a, a title for Rebel Spies. Now, um, so it was cool to touch on that and see Ahsoka. It's also really cool to add some stuff to Rebels of, you know, Fulcrum. That name was picked because there, that's where Ahsoka learned to do those communications on mm-hmm. the Andron arc. So she's like taking in, like she's taking skills that she got through her missions with Anakin and applying it. Yeah. It also yeah. adds stuff to Vader in Rebels believing that you know she's still alive um because they would have received communications from fulcrum they would be tracking fulcrum wanting to know who fulcrum is yeah and and fulcrum would be yeah a buzzword for him that would be something he was he was aware of um yeah let me see if i what else do i have from that first chunk there um i think those are the those are the big things it's interesting that they we talk about it being a mirror of the original movie, but uh, as opposed to earlier in the Clone Wars, where we kind of regularly see uh, sort of horrible generals of the week, where, you know, in week to week there are, you know, Admiral General Trench being a prime example. You know, it's like this week the Separatists are being led by a horrible spider. Uh, this week it's uh, a fat lot guard character voiced by George Takei. Um, and it's always just some horrible, terrible, ugly guy that, uh, Hey, Josh, war is ugly. All right. Sure. Yep. You got it, Pete. Now that you put it that way, they're actually all very cool. Okay. Um, it's, it's telling that they usually only show up once and that none of them are fan favorites to my mind. Maybe someone out there likes general trench. I don't know. Uh, but at this point in the war, you know, there's not a biological general anymore. There's a tactical droid leading this assault. And I mean, by all counts, doing a good job. But um, I can't help but wonder if that speaks to um, the desperation of the Separatists and maybe, you know, their ranks of senior officials being dwindled. Oh, and finally see Trench well, get killed. well, I think they explained it in the opening crawl. Because they do, they explain, you know, with the, you know, Balapa and, and Dune and um, Aayla Sakura... They show all of the Jedi that get killed in Order 66 that mm-hmm. the Separatists are doing an assault. They're doing it so they're dragging people away so that they can do their siege of Coruscant. So for That's all true. we know, the Separatists folks are, there. are, you know, the other leadership are, you know, in those different areas so that they can yeah. um, stretch out the Jedi and capture Palpatine. Very true, very true. Could be. Um, so from there we finally, you know, Anakin goes back onto the Star Shore with Obi-Wan and we see that gasp-worthy shot that they put at the end of the first trailer for this that I think we did covered in like our second episode or something with Anakin saying what's so important, yada yada, and then Ahsoka and Bo-Katan being on uh, the hologram and talking about like, hey, we found Maul, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I I want to talk about how Anakin was reacting. Mm-hmm. It it seems like mm-hmm. Anakin was reacting to Ahsoka. I was trying to think like of a analogy for this, like like okay, maybe. I'm curious what you came up with. I think I have one. Well, the dark the darker side of it would be 
your parents get divorced and you don't get to see like a friend from like one um, that was like connected to one side of the parents. Um, mm-hmm. But I also like to think of it as like um, an uncle or a relative that you never get to see. So you get super, super excited and you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. How yeah. are you? How are you? Or <laughs> um, breaking up and, you know, one person clearly has more connection and, and it, it hit that person harder than the other person of mm-hmm. like, oh, how are you? How are you? I'm so I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And and then she's like, OK, can we not do this right now? I got I got stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, it's very clear from go that Anakin has a lot of assumptions about what Ahsoka contacting him means. And I think he's are immediately very eager to just, Oh, she's back. She's, she's come back. Finally, she's come back. Um, and we very interestingly see him rationalize this with Obi-Wan and saying, Oh, I get it now. This is why she left. She left. She was compelled by the force because since she left, she was able to find Maul and, and you can, you can, He's, he's making excuses and trying to simplify her motives. And it's it's very interesting because within a week of this event, you know, Anakin's going to have the worst day of his freaking life and he's he's going to be Darth Vader and his, his faithful in the Jedi Order will, will come crumbling down. But here I think you see him grasping uh, kind of desperately for a rationale where he can still align his experience and what he's seen and what he's lived with what he's been told is the way things should be. Um, and so to, to me, the analogy I came up with for Ahsoka and Anakin at this point helped, I would add, um, by recently, for the first time, watching American Graffiti, which is George Lucas' second film okay. movie he did right before Star Wars, um, is Anakin is sort of a big fish in a small pond type deal granted it's a very large small pond um but it's sort of like anakin's the hot shot in a small town that didn't go away to college uh and and ahsoka is while younger than him for i mean and for lack of a better word you know he, he stayed within the insular world and Ahsoka left that. And even though she's younger, she has had an additional experience. She has had an additional viewpoint or has gone to an additional institution. So she is looking at things from one more vantage point than Anakin is. Uh, and then now, you know, she's, it's like she's come back to their hometown or whatever uh, with this knowledge and insight that she's bringing from away. Whereas Anakin never left that hometown of the, the Jedi Order. And or like studying it so or like still... studying abroad where like yeah that'd be another you're example. you know from the same college and then somebody happens to spend uh you know a semester in like france and then they're like i'm changed now i have more experiences than you do not talk to me good fromage yeah <laughs> yeah and it yeah, it was it was interesting. Ahsoka being so brusque with him, I do I, I, I do buy that they really think that they have to strike while the iron's hot, and they need to they need to move and and capitalize on Maul being somewhere that they know he is. Um, but yeah, it was their their interactions were were very interesting. I I can't help but speculate, like. 
the I think you, we would have to be led to believe that when Anakin walks away with Obi Wan to go to Coruscant, and I think they just say that good luck, kind of. Well, she and... she she says good luck, and then he just looks mm-hmm. at her like, you know, a, a right. Holland. I know. Yeah. So, rebels aside, and whatever might happen in rebels aside, it it's. You know, we, I think we're to believe that that is potentially the last time the two of these characters, as they are, see each other or interact. Oh, for but sure. They really didn't, but they really didn't sell that moment. They really didn't give that moment much weight. Well, no, I actually disagree with that because okay. I, I think that it's a very realistic take on you don't ever realize that's the last time you're going to see somebody. That's fair. So. Um, that's fair um i yeah i mean there's anakin even says it too he says you know you take out maul i'll take out grievous hot calf is on me and this is gonna be completely fine i'm gonna get the the gang back together this is just a phase that you're going through obviously (laughs) you're gonna come back because yeah reasons Mm-hmm. And there's there is a I made a note of that as well. There really is a sense that these characters, Anakin in particular, with a eagerness that perhaps Obi Wan and Ahsoka don't have, but there's there is a palpable sense amongst the characters that this is coming to a head, that this is going to be over. And I think with Anakin, it's it's a very hopeful sense of like this this is going to be over, and I got a lot going on upstairs, but you know this is over and I can finally sort all these things out. This will be done. We'll go to course on the war will end. Um, like I really, I really get a feel of eagerness for him. Obviously Obi-Wan, I don't think shares, uh, that sense of optimism. He pretty much says as much. No, he says cautiously optimistic. I think at one point, um, he did, yeah, he, he does say cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Uh, but among the characters, there's, there's a sense of, um, yeah. Conclusion. Or that they are approaching some sort of conclusion. And then, among the episode as a whole, I just, I really got to hand it to Clone Wars. Like, watching this felt like, you know, I mean, we're all familiar with Revenge of the Sith. We all know these events. If we're if we're treating Star Wars like a history, like a fictional history, watching this episode unfold felt like, oh yes, this happened. Like, obviously, this happened. Like, it feels like these events are preordained. We've already seen what comes after and so they, to me, these events fit so seamlessly into my perception of what the Star Wars narrative as a whole is, that it, it really, it feels like Interesting. a fossil is being unveiled. Like it's not, this is not, I'm, I'm having no trouble slotting this in See, I, to its place. There's a couple inconsistencies I had, which oh, okay. I think might also be because... I'm not watching Clone Wars as, like, I'm not binging it. So, like, Mm -hmm. all seven seasons is not firmly in my mind. But Mm -hmm. in episode three, we have Anakin is extremely emotional. He's kind of torn between things. Obi-Wan is very skeptical of the um, Chancellor Palpatine and is Mm -hmm. worried about the overstretch of the Chancellor and we're those kind of two like key emotions that we get in episode three. We're not quite there yet. Granted, 
You know, we still got three episodes left. So for all we know, Anakin and Obi-Wan are going to be have a role to play in these three episodes where Anakin reaches out to Ahsoka and is like, help me or something like that. And this isn't the last time, but I kind of I'm going to, you know, cut them some slack because, you know, I was trying to put this emotion into something where the product's not done and I haven't watched those episodes, but it was missing a little mm-hmm. bit for me. I, I, can, I can, that's fair. I think to my mind, the Jedi Council throughout Clone Wars has expressed enough distrust of Palpatine, and I'm able to assume that Obi-Wan is included in that. Again, neither of us have rewatched the entire series lately, but I, 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 I believe that Obi-Wan is, is skeptical of the Chancellor. I think that enough groundwork has been laid for that. Um, and then as far as Anakin's emotions are concerned, I think, you know, Episode 3 represents the first time he's had a minute to breathe. And I think it's when the action stops is when you see Anakin in, in Episode 3. After that opening in Coruscant... When he has free time. He's... Right. He's home. He's back. He's back from the war. He's not actively at war. He's not at battle. He's not getting to be an action hero in those moments. And I think at that point, the emotions come. And, and he has to grapple with them in a way that he doesn't have to when he's out in the Outer Rim sieges. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and that, um, but yeah, I just, oh, yeah. It just, it felt, like I said, it felt like history happening to me. Or like, like, like history that already happened. I don't know. It just, it, it very much made sense. It very much felt like a piece of the whole in, in ways that, you know, other pieces of Star Wars have not or have taken longer to feel that way. This very immediately felt that way to me. Um, I want to touch on when they say that Coruscant is under attack, they make a pretty, I would argue, loaded reference okay. to Shakti being sent to protect the Chancellor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Shakti originally in episode three, and you can see in the deleted scenes, she's, she's had a, she's had a storied past in terms of Star Wars yeah. canon and legends. Right, and so in the original Clone Wars, the 2D Gandhi Tarkovsky Clone that, Wars. That series, episode Shakti is so is, good. Is, mm-hmm. And she, that happens. She sent to, to protect the Chancellor, and then in episode three, in what became a deleted scene, uh, she's killed. She's killed protecting the Chancellor. And, and no, no, there's the third one, scene. too, in the Force Unleashed right, video game. Right, because even, and this is pre-Disney canon. Right, 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 right. Um, that scene was deleted, and so it's like, well, that's not canon. So then they rewrote her story that she survived Order sixty six and Force Awake or Force Unleashed. Sorry, Force Unleashed. She ends up living in a, uh, you know, a post imperial or well, in under the reign of the Empire, and Starkiller uh, battles and, and kills her in Force Unleashed. But now that is also not canon anymore, and so I'm uh, making this comment about Shock T going to protect the uh, Palpatine. To me, is, is a loaded comment and is sort of well, what's the implication going to be here then? And are they? Yeah, I I, th- I honestly I think that the shock T reference was just something that they wanted to throw out there to and they're including as many characters as they can to kind of be like, oh, that adds that little wrinkle, that little wrinkle, because we haven't seen shock T since the clones Season three the arc yeah troopers, the arc troopers think, yeah. um where she Never where she's fight. at 
in she's at Camino and she's the Jedi overseeing the production of the clones. Yeah. When I IG eleven in Mandalorian is a great example, but Dave Filoni has expressed it um, over the course of behind the scenes footage and stuff like that. That if he has the ability to set things in motion where fans can interpret events one of multiple ways and if a fan has a preference for perhaps a legends story or a legends continuity he does not want to be the one to contradict that which is why ig11 is ig11 not ig88 because there are as i mentioned in 100 stars ever there are stories about ig88 and legends and feloni does not want to be the one to cap uh those stories that's pretty cool say, well no that's not canon anymore and so when he when they have that comment about shakti to my mind that that sets that character on on several paths and you can you know uh, it's at the discretion of the fan to maybe um decide what they want to have happened with shock t there i don't know but it's it's a reference that comes up to several possibilities of canon without necessarily picking one and when we're getting up on that kind of wishy-washy like not wishy-washy that's a that's a negative connotation but when you're you're allowing people to interpret canon like that i can't help but wonder if that's also going to be indicative of how they handle the canon of where maul has been between the last time we see him and now because and granted we only see him for five seconds at the end of the episode but again the last time any Clone Wars viewer has seen Darth Maul is Palpatine has caught him and now we are seeing him. So is he an agent of Palpatine right now? Are they going to allude to this four issue comic book that has been declared canon? What? I don't know. But the Shock D comment, like I said, very loaded. Got my my speculation muscles um, firing, things like that. This is an interesting time where... Josh, usually between the two of us, I'm the one that has the spoiler information and the kind of like foresight because I see the episode descriptions a couple episodes in advance, Mm -hmm. but you've known what's going to happen to Maul according to this comic book for like what, a year now? No, no, no. That comic is before these episodes. Oh, it's before. Okay. Yeah, it bridges the gap. Oh, okay, okay. I thought it... When he's captured in... Okay, I I definitely Mm -hmm. thought it was explaining what he does after the siege of mandalore arc oh no, no oh, okay no, no. all right so no, we're no, we're in the same no. page of what's going to happen next right it's just that i potentially yeah it's it's more it's called son of dathomir it's forced comic that and it's yeah it was going to be like season six episodes that because i mean again like we said last time we saw darth maul he's in the clutches of the most powerful man in the galaxy now he appears to be right back where we left him in you know underground in mandalore no harm, no foul. What happened there? So, again, there are comic books that, that explain that, that are based on uh, unused Clone Wars scripts, but are they going to be beholden to that? Are they going to, how much background are they going to provide us? Uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but before we get to all that, we have this nice moment of the helmets. The iconic helmets. Yeah. Hashtag Clone Wars saved. I wore my shirt and everything just to watch it. Did you take a picture? <laughs> no, I'm not a goober. Um, not that there's anything wrong with taking a picture. Not that there's anything wrong with being uh, a goober. As long <laughs> as you're goofy. Okay, but like, hear me out. Okay. It's a very nice moment. I wore the shirt. I'm happy to wear the shirt. I can't help but wonder. If you're Ahsoka, 
and you are orange. And then you go oh, is back. That, is this the equivalent of blackface? Your, is that what you're asking? Boom. You go back to your podunk hometown after being out in the world a little longer. And all of a sudden, all your friends have painted their helmets orange because you are orange. And they're like, look hey. at us. We really like you. Hey, we miss you so much. We, we, we drew your face on is our that, helmets. Is that okay? Are you allowed to do that? It's definitely not bringing her back. That their intentions are pure. But I don't know. It makes the clones it seem had like children. To me. Like, hey, everybody, Ahsoka's coming back. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go to the arts and crafts room and let's make some helmets. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was it just d- my, my first note that I took was as I was wearing that shirt and we were going to that episode, it dawned on me and I wrote, uh, orange face? Yeah, and that's one of those, ep- that's one of those things where I'm sure if I had not seen the trailer and the teaser, like, what, a year ago that had that, mm-hmm. that it would be a lot more, like, powerful. But for me, I'm like, okay, I've seen oh, this. Yeah. Well, and beyond that, I mean, that moment at Star Celebration Orlando, Pablo Hidalgo and Dave Filoni had a panel where they talked about uh, where the Clone Wars was meant to go, but would never get to go because it was canceled. Where they ended up showing an animation reel of a Cat Bane Boba Fett episode, still waiting on that. Um, but they they described this moment, and the th- they're on stage with actually Eckstein, and they, I think I don't know if they necessarily read the script, but they go through this moment. They explain this moment, and Ashley Eckstein is hearing it for the first time because she does not know you know, what happened to Ahsoka. And they, they go through it and they talk about how they have their, their helmets painted and stuff like that. And she cries and it's very touching and it's great, but to actually see it now. So, I mean, that was 2016. Oh my. That, that the first interaction with this moment has come. Oh, wow. Finally see it. I do got to say, felt kind of casual after all the build. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like they didn't really add too much onto it. So Mm -mm. I, I think that's just one of those things where like, you see the trailer so often that it just takes away the mm-hmm. emotional impact, the emotional like um, giveaway of it is just right. completely yeah, gone you, because of it. I'm sure I'm sure it, it would have been great if yeah. I, this had been like the first time that I had saw had seen it and be like, oh look at what they did, that's so nice. Yeah, and I think it's also nice that it speaks to an eagerness. That belongs to more than just Anakin. Oh yeah, for sure. Ahsoka back. I think we're we're so inclined to be like, oh well, Anakin has attachments and yada yada. But to see, you know, the clones are also clearly very invested in having her come back, and I think that speaks to Ahsoka's strength of character and strength of leadership, and that she is clearly, you know, very respected. And it's not just like, oh, Anakin's a child; he doesn't know how to let go, and that's why he's eager for her to be back. It's because I mean, she's a genuine asset, and she has the respect and the loyalty of uh, this army. Um, well, and and so yeah. in terms of the 501st, I would even say that we see Ahsoka with the 501st as much as with, as, as with Anakin, if not more, because we have times yeah. where she's given, like there's that arc where she has her own fighter squadron and she just keeps messing up. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So she's also the her. mechanism through us seeing more of the clones themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And she, yeah, and she's, you know, she has grown with those clones and, and they've all, yeah, I mean, they've, they're battle buddies. They've been at war together. 
Um, it during these moments and during the conversations Anakin and Ahsoka have, and Ahsoka also has with with Obi Wan. Uh, I think I have to say that whatever your opinion of the middle arc of this season is, it would have been, it would have felt strange for Ahsoka to be saying some of the stuff she's saying about the Jedi Order and their place in the galaxy without. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Right, exactly. It 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 maybe would have felt a little like that. It would have rung a little hollow, um, to because it would have just seemed like, oh, okay, so the Jedi thought you were guilty when you weren't, and so now you have this very worldly view of them, um, and it's just yeah. I I mean I believe I believed what you were saying, but I think that was helped greatly by seeing her have some of the experiences that she had. And I think it was important that we see her life outside of the Jedi order before she comes back into the fold here. And then that provided a uh, very important context to it is interesting how uh, dismissive she is of Obi-Wan and also just yeah. kind of how kind of cold Obi-Wan is to Ahsoka, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is not that he is a very chilly yeah, conversation. Not that he, I mean, th- between like during the Ahsoka trial arc, they don't interact at all. Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, like Obi-Wan doesn't reach out to help oh, at right. any point. I think maybe Obi-Wan counsels Anakin at one point about yeah, allowing the courts right. to take control of everything. But from her perspective, right? Like the people that she's close with would be like Anakin, Plo Koon, Obi-Wan, probably in that order. And mm-hmm. so we're, we we do kind of see that there is some animosity between, at least on Ahsoka's side. I think that um, with Obi-Wan, we're kind of seeing he is getting closer to the detachment and being what a Jedi is supposed to be during that time of the Jedi. Yeah, and I, I think that rightfully she has identified that Obi-Wan Kenobi is, uh, while perhaps aware of some of the shortcomings of the Jedi, never going to be an agent of change. He's, he's never going to be, you know, a sweeping reformer within the Jedi Order. Like, even, he, he accepts the Jedi Order wrinkled and all, and while he is um, perhaps aware that there's room for improvement, he, I don't think, would be the one to insist upon that improvement. You know, he is he is a perhaps an agent of the status quo in a way that is no longer palatable to Ahsoka. Um, I'm I'm wondering uh, also while we're still in this area of the episode, Bo-Katan uh, mentions you know Maul kills a teen. She thought that meant something to Obi Wan, um, and that he would be more eager to to take him out. Obi Wan still cool and undetached. Uh, isn't isn't really doesn't really bite the bait for that. It made me wonder what does what does Obi Wan tell the Jedi Council about the events in Mandalore during that coup or the sack of Mandalore back in season five? Because he sneaks off on his own. He borrows Anakin's ship, the Twilight, from from the movie. He he goes on his own to Mandalore because again, Mandalore's an independent system. The Jedi Order aren't interfering there. So he goes rogue to help there when he does. And he's dressed up in his bounty hunter gear, his Rako Hardeen outfit. So what 
it made me wonder, what did he tell Anakin about what happened there? What did he tell the Jedi Order about what happened? Okay. Because he went off book. He went off book, and a woman was killed that perhaps only Anakin knows Obi-Wan had been in love with. Uh, because they have a conversation about it briefly in season two when Duchess Satinas mm-hmm. is first introduced. Um, and it was, and again, going back to that great animation, Anakin does have kind of a, a small reaction to that news, but I'm like, is he learning that Satine had died in that moment? Have they talked about it? Do they talk about these things at all? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, ours is not the reason why we, and, that, and that's just some insight that we don't really get into. I mean, we, we we definitely right. know that they're close, that they are going through, you know, the trials and tribulations of the Clone Wars, and that they're doing these campaigns together. But pa- past that, mm. and their presumed conversations about the role of the Chancellor in the Senate, we don't get a, a ton of inklings to that. Yeah. So it was, uh, again, I think uh, Stars is at its best when it hints at something and lets your imagination take you the rest of the way. And for me, that that moment um, really got me thinking. And then you also have a great line in this sequence, almost a kind of meta commentary on this franchise, perhaps, uh, where Obi-Wan says, we'd effectively be drawing us into another war. And Bo-Katan says, what's one more? Um and it is sort of a reminder of like, well, what are you talking about another war? It's, it's called Star Wars. You're, you're always at war. You've been at war across the entire galaxy. All you've been doing is war. You call it one war, but you've been at war in dozens of planets, hundreds of fronts. Um, but this is weirdly where you draw yeah. the line. Even though as Jedi, you should have drawn the line at one war. You weren't, you weren't supposed to be at war at all. You're not the military. You're peacekeepers. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, 101 wars is too many. It is it is um, a confirmation that the Jedi, specifically Obi Wan and Anakin, have accepted their role of the Jedi are military commanders, and this is yeah. a regular part of life. Absolutely, and it it's just a reminder of how far the Jedi's perception of themselves and the Jedi in reality are from each other and how far they've fallen. You know, it's uh, it's, it's an important condemnation on Bo-Katan's part. And I, I appreciate that she's not going to sit here and let Obi-Wan stand on that nonsense argument. Um, yeah, it was a good moment. It was a good moment. I enjoyed that. Uh, and then I think, I mean, unless you have anything else on that sequence, we should probably uh, talk about this big landing sequence. Oh, yeah, the actual siege? Yeah. That was, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire freaking life? Um, that was absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it... Oh, my God. Well, she does a thing. Where she swings in the gunship, and she kicks the guys out, and then she force pushes one guy, and she kicks the guy behind her. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh and she God. she loves just doing this thing where she kills people, but she doesn't, you know, kill them with the lightsaber and just, like, end it. She's like, you're going to blow up, or you're going to fall <laughs> to your death. Slow yeah, down like, you. it's <laughs> yeah. not my fault that your jetpack oh is, is broken. Mm-hmm. Bye, Felicia. That, that sequence was... Oh, my God. So good. So good. What incredible action. 
and it's it, it felt it still felt like there was gravity to it like there was physics to it um well and boy, oh boy. and i loved how crazy. they included the idea that they still treat it as a game right like rex and ahsoka oh, rex are like and you know rate you know for race you to the you know landing bay which is something that you know they've mm-hmm. done a couple times where they in, they uh include you know some humor and some um you know good vibes which is probably what you do you know see right. you on the other side camaraderie um these mm-hmm. kind of words of encouragement even though you might not see that person again right yeah absolutely uh boy what a what a sequence i'm just watching that sequence being like never in a million years would i have guessed in what 2008 that this is where the show is gonna go like the scope of it uh mandalorians fighting mandalorians while clones and lightsabers and gunships and just Oh my goodness! And it of course culminates in her landing and that gunship exploding, and the image of her in front of that explosion, which was the poster that we all got at the Clone Wars panel. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, when she lands and that explosion happens, there is just a hint of race theme in there. Okay. The scavenger theme. I I pick out three notes or so from it. And I, I don't suspect that it was an accident. Um, it was just a nice touch. It was interesting. I don't know. Let me, listeners, let me know if you picked up on that at all. It's when she lands, and then you just listen to music, and there's there's a few notes there. A very scavenger race theme. Um, but gosh, that action sequence. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I, what else can I say other than I was screaming and my hairs were standing up all over my arms, and it was just. I mean, I watched it again this morning, and it's just jaw-dropping i mean what a oh sequence. it's visually and the choreography of it it oh is i mean it's it's like you're watching a movie which it also just kind of shows mm. that this arc is where they have put so much effort so much time so much money into mm. it it's just there's such it's an it's not not that it's night and day but there's just such a wide difference in quality between this episode and the rest of the season that we've been getting. Yeah. And I, I think I hesitate to say quality, but yeah, I, I think it's just like scope and effort and resources. Right. And well, I mean, um, Dave's talked about this, it at yeah. certain times when he, he was running rebels of, you know, the money that goes into just even including a Cape in a show. And mm-hmm. they have to make mm-hmm. each and every one of these things, these adjustments when it comes to animation and, they really um, pull out all the stops with this, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they turned it to eleven, and it it paid off. Uh, and I mean, I like it was. I fully expected like that was going to be the end of the episode. All like it just so much was happening, and I was so emotionally invested in everything that was happening that it by the time it got to that sequence, I was like, well, surely this has been forty five minutes by now. Uh, but no. We get more. We get Ahsoka going her way. We get Bo-Katan um, fighting Almec in the throne room, which the thing I want to point out there is uh, previously, every time we've been in that throne room, I'm pretty sure it's in that throne room, back to even when Satine was in charge, the pacifist leader, there was this like Pablo Picasso-esque painting. Okay. 
I think it was behind the throne. There's a, it's a very striking uh, Mandalorian painting. And that is gone now. And Olmec made the throne room stupid. So you deserve to get beat up. <laughs> so there. Um, I was actually kind of surprised that Olmec actually actually thought he could fight. I thought yeah. it was just going to be kind of like a Satine, like, you know, uh, even even like Satine put up a better showing than Olmec did. Oh, and yeah. she like was yeah. very, very adamant. Like, I do not want this. Mm-hmm. I do not have any interest in these weapons, but I'm going to defend myself. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, Satine had the strength of her convictions, whereas Olmec is just a slippery eel yeah. who, you know. Then, you know, yeah, I don't, what it's does like, he believe in? He all, uh, yeah, go ahead. Do you think? Yeah, no, well, Olmec is also like, I have all these toys, and yet I'm just going to use this stupid blaster when, like, I have, yeah. you know, the little lasso, and I got, I have fire, mm-hmm. I have a jetpack, but, uh, no, I'm just going to go with this cool little, like, rope accessory on my arm instead, yeah. because... Yep. It looks cool. Well, it's, it's like the difference between a Jedi with a lightsaber and Han Solo with a lightsaber. You know? Oh, don't bring Han into this. <laughs> but he's got the toy, but yeah. you don't know what to do or, with it. I guess, no, well, Finn's <laughs> Force-sensitive, so I can't say that. <laughs> well, and, and combat trained. Um, do you think that Gar Saxon listens to heavy metal? Um, yes, insofar as I have a very negative opinion of heavy metal. So, for somebody I dislike, I'm like, wow. yeah, that, sound, that sounds right. So, if you were to pick a, some music that, like, well, is just kind of negative, um, I, oh I do think goodness. that Gar Saxon has well, said the someone... words, they will not replace us, multiple times. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Uh... Well, as someone who considers heavy metal their only semblance of true culture, uh, that's a very metal helmet that he's got. Oh, yeah, yeah, Literally the devil horns. That was a joke, you freaking psycho. Oh, my gosh. Um, we have Gar Saxon showing up, still voiced by Ray Stevenson, who voiced him in Rebels. Uh, it, there is sort of a, given his helmet is what it is, I believe we do see him in the coup of Mandalore, or the sack of Mandalore, or whatever we're going to call that. Oh, I think really? There's only okay. one guy with a horn helmet back then as well. There's horn helmets. And Saxon is the in villain in Rebels, correct? He's not the one. He's not the part of the mm-hmm. defenders that like. No. Finral. Okay, so because yeah. Finn, we haven't seen Finral. I keep wondering if Finral will show up. Okay. No. No, but we get Gar Saxon, and then we get a character Rook, Rook is something? Rook is from Rook the cast? comic. The Dathomir comic. What comic? And I only know that because I'm on the oh. Clone Wars wiki, wiki as we're recording this. So okay. she's she's an yeah. So I read that comic. Once. She's just an she's a named character that's part of Clan right. Saxon. Her name is Rook Cast, Cast, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. Cast is a name. It is a name. It's hers. Um. No, there's another. Maybe something from Legends or something. Cast is a loaded name, I'm pretty sure. It is interesting that I can't. the all of the Mandalorians that are with the clones 
are under Bo-Katan's blue banner. But mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Sabine, isn't House Wren, they're yellow? They're not blue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so. I think they're they're uh, kind of changing their signia to A, make it easier to understand blue, Jedi, red, mole. Yeah. Yeah. Jodo cast? I don't know. There's some cast-named characters, but I'm not too worried about that, I guess. Uh, Rook cast is voiced by Vanessa Mark. Vanessa Mark. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if she actually has any lines in this episode. I think she might have one. Um, um yeah, something. Uh, yeah, Vanessa I think Marshall she. I think she talks Star to Rose. Saxon at some point. Yeah, uh, and she's rocking some Sabinish hair. Got that purple dye in there, so curious. Um, and then, so yeah, that that whole the whole siege ultimately ends up with Ahsoka going into the tunnels. And her her clones being taken out, and her surrounded by bad bad Mandalorians, and Maul revealing himself. And it comes out that you know Maul was not they were they were never in danger of Maul eluding their grasp. Um, Maul was baiting them to come there, and was hoping to bait Obi Wan Kenobi to come there. But then, well, uh, so Coruscant. let's get, let's get and into so, that. That was my speculation for this: is mm-hmm. assuming that Maul is a vehicle is a mechanism for Palpatine that right. Which I think at this point we right, have because Palpatine had Maul in his grasps is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm disregarding uh, whatever those comics are. I'm taking Clone Wars for Clone Wars. I'm okay. only going off of Clone okay. Wars, not that comic. It, and so, yeah. Is this a ploy to further draw out Obi-Wan? Because the last time this all happened, it was only Obi-Wan that ended up going not Anakin, so that he gets Anakin one-on-one. Right, chipping away at Anakin's Yeah, and that system. he was actually hoping for Maul to kill Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. I, that's, 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 my, yeah. that's my current spec. That, that's what I believe to be the case when you like think of it as you know he's pulling the strings in all of these different ways. There's a reason that you know we, we already know that it was a trap laid, but it wasn't just Maul wanting to get revenge. Mm-hmm. It was Palpatine wanting to get Obi-Wan out of there. I think that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, the idea that Palpatine knows Maul has a vendetta against Obi-Wan. And so, yeah, the, the goal there is get Obi-Wan caught up in something else and further chip away at Anakin's support mm-hmm. system. Um, because, and yeah, then, go ahead. Clearly, that that doesn't end up working quite the way he thought. And then Obi-Wan gets... Well, it's the Jedi Council that ends up sending Obi-Wan to Utapal. But Obi-Wan ends up gone regardless. Like, he ends up... Uh, him and Anakin end up separated when the, when, the, when, you know, when the shoe drops, so to speak, regardless. But, yeah, could this be, like, an earlier attempt? Yeah, I don't think... I think Pal... It feels like... The trying to draw Obi-Wan to Mandalore is definitely Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Sending him to Utapau is just the council being well, yeah, yeah, the, the council being account. dumb not bringing Anakin with him. Though, the reason, arguably, that they don't send Anakin is because Palpatine insists that they send Anakin. 
Palpatine tells Anakin to tell him, I, I, I would doubt their wisdom if they don't send you. And sort of, so, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Won't get into that. But yeah, I, I think definitely we have to assume that Palpatine has motivation for Maul to be out in the open and to have the ability to target Obi-Wan. Whether Maul knows that. Again, I'm ignoring that Forest You comic book for now because how that interacts with these episodes remains to be seen. And I think that the show needs to stand on its own merits without um, appendices. Uh, yeah, does, does, is Maul cognizant of that? Um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, clearly, well, I don't know. Because the, the fact that the Coruscant thing is going on at the same time, I don't know. Um, I have a couple small things, but... Um... Oh, yeah, okay. go for it. I'm all done. It was interesting that Ahsoka talked to Captain Vaughn as Vaughn, and Vaughn introduced himself with his clone ID. So he was like, this is CT, blah, oh, blah, blah. He? And then she's like, hey, what's going on, Vaughn? So she's interacting and talking to them as, you know, individuals, but they are mm-hmm. talking to each other based off of call signs. Um, right. We have, other than that, um, here, let me pull up The Phantom Apprentice. Okay. Well, I will also say, speaking of clone designation stuff, Rex gets promoted. Yeah, Rex does get promoted. He's technically Commander Rex right now. Yeah, he'll have it for a whole... <laughs> five seconds. Five seconds. Um... Okay, so <laughs> um, this is actually probably the best description of the next episode uh, oh, for the season, for sure. All right, so... Is it uh, the Clone Wars continue? Functionally. Um, so <laughs> the next week's episode is The Phantom Apprentice, and its premise is Ahsoka and Republic forces confront Maul on Mandalore. Ah, there you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um doesn't give anything away um very very happy about that i'm these last two episodes after that phantom apprentice i really can't help but wonder if the mandalore thing is going to resolve itself within the next episode and then these last two episodes are uncharted territory i don't know or or they're post 66 Right. Yeah, or they're during. Uh, well, I mean, they have to. Yeah. They, for sure, one of these three episodes has to be Ahsoka Order sixty six. Oh, I I think that there's a chance that Order sixty six will be the end of this episode. Like it will be, or the next episode. Like it will be the cliffhanger ending of the Phantom Apprentice. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know that'd be really cool because then we get to include Anakin and Obi Wan. It's not just. Yeah, oh wow. I didn't even think about that. That's that's cool to think but about. But at the same time, I mean, they've very much set this up as a four-part arc. And I can't I mean, I guess they could do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm also wondering if they're going to edit this together into a single movie at the end. Oh, they're definitely doing that. Cuz they've done that with arcs in the past for DVD releases and stuff like that. I think that, that I I'm yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say that this is required watching if you're doing a movie rewatch like you need to watch the Siege of Mandalore to provide further explanation into Episode Three. 
Yeah, but I'm curious if you haven't watched any other Clone Wars, though, and you're just dropped into this. Oh, um, I mean, I would say that it, sh- it should also be, like, you should watch the Clone Wars movie, and then I would curate, like, an episode or two of Ahsoka, and then an episode or two of the mm-hmm. Mandalor- Mandalorians. But mm-hmm. just the quality of it, I'm like, I need, like... I will never watch do a rewatch again of episode one, two, and three without watching the Siege of Mandalore to provide further context, for sure. Sure. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, so far, so good. Uh, it does sort of that they seem to be positioning it to be one thing, and I feel like it will end up maybe being edited together as a single unit. Gives me the littlest bit of hope that I'm sure is wasted that we could get other arcs of this show in a movie yes form, uh no like an animated movie sorry i'm form. sorry josh shut up pete i'm not talking to you um, i really want that boba fett cad bane arc so so bad yeah um that's so so bad throw, throw it on the wish list <laughs> yeah i did pete what do you what, what are you doing shut up all right oh i'm out 